My name is Keith Beavers, and we just bought our first house. I know, it's very exciting. Do you guys know there's, like, a lot to do when you own a house? Like, there's a lot going on. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 14 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast Season 2. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair, and how are you? Here we are, Provence. It's time to figure this all out. We all love the pink stuff, and this is kind of an OG moment, sort of, kind of, maybe. What is it about Provence? This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Fleur de Mer Rosé. Throughout the rolling hills and valleys of Provence, fields of lavender thrive in the warm sun and fresh, crisp seaside air. In French, Fleur de Mer means flower of the sea, and our wine celebrates the region's famed flowers as well as its historical tradition of crafting incredible rosé wines. Each sip of Fleur de Mer Rosé engages the senses with bright fruit notes, crisp acidity, and a clean, dry finish. For a taste of true provincial rosé wine, reach for Fleur de Mer Rosé. I mean, who does not associate pink wine with Provence? Even if you don't even, even if you don't know where Provence is, even if you don't even understand the whole Provence thing, you probably know that there are, there's pink wine and a lot of it coming from Provence. It just so happens to be the southeastern part of France, mostly in a department called VAR, V-A-R, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that. Provence does produce the majority of the pink wine or rosé in France, and they produce a lot of it. In 2016, over a million cases of Provence rosé, that's 12 bottles per case, a million cases of, of Provence rosé was exported into the U.S. That's just the U.S. Imagine how much they drank in Provence. It's insane. And even though this is the home or a home of rosé or pink wine, it's not... The, the rosé didn't begin in Provence. The style of rosé, and we have a, I have an episode in season one all about how rosé is made and all that, the, the idea of rosé has been around for a long time. It's just this area, because of its climactic, geological ge- like position, it makes sense to make pink wine. There are 3,000 hours of sun a year in the region of Provence. That's a lot of sun hours. Also, even though this region does get up into some hilly areas and higher elevations towards the north, it's basically the most Mediterranean climate. You, it's, it is the Mediterranean climate. It almost feels like this is it. This is where the Mediterranean climate idea came from. Not really, but like, you know, it feels like it. It's warm and it's near the sea, a lot of seafood, there's a lot of garlic, a lot of aioli going on over there. It makes sense that nice, crisp, high-acid wine would do well with the food and the climate and the lifestyle of the area. And maybe you say, well, Keith, and I'll be like, what's up? What about white wine? Wouldn't a place 
towards the coast, just do white. Why do rosé? Why not just do white wine? And I'll be like, oh, good question. You see, the region of Provence, the people there also make red wine. And they make white wine. Just not as much as they make pink wine. And the thing is, this area of France has been producing wine for such a long time, there's not even a precise date really to show when the vine began being cultivated in this area. But when you have a location like this on the planet, (laughs) uh, you know, this location in France, in the Mediterranean, near Italy, northern Italy, this was a land that was fought over for, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Greeks got there first, then the Gauls had a run at it, then there's all these other eras. You had the Saracens, you had the Carolinians, of course the Roman Empire had a thing, there were the Counts of Toulouse, the Catalans, Rene of Anjou, the House of Savoy, and the Kingdom of Sardinia. All of these eras existed and occupied this area. And if that's a lot of humans, that's a lot of vines, being exchanged over a very long time. So the variety of grapes that thrive in the Provence region are a result of basically, you know, survival of the fittest, varieties that have been so successful that they kept them around and made wine with them. Because the thing is, what's really wild about the Provence region is in Cote de Provence alone, which we'll get to in a second, Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson states in the Oxford Wine Companion that in Cote de Provence, which is one of the wine regions in this area, has no less than 13 varieties they can use in their wine. It's very similar to a wine region just north of Provence called the Southern Rhone, which we talked about before. There's vines all over this part of France or vines of different varieties all over this part of France. But, and this is crazy because this is history. The connection between this land, this area, and Spain and Italy is pretty intense. I wish I had time to talk about it. Interestingly enough, it does have to do with Piedmont in in Barolo. It's crazy. But... The short list of varieties that are used predominantly in Provence are more of a reflection of the most recent occupations of that land, specifically Italy, and specifically the island of Sardinia. Interestingly enough, at at one point, Spain occupied Sardinia. and So Italy and Spain have both occupied Sardinia. And there's a story that goes that there's a grape called Garnacha from Spain, and there's a grape called Canonau in Sardinia. Those two varieties are the same, and it has to do with the Spanish bringing, they think, the Canonau grape to Sardinia. So being that Provence was once part of the kingdom of Sardinia, it would make sense that the varieties that were thriving on the island of Sardinia would be making their way over to Provence. I know that's crazy, and I can't get into a lot more of it, but I I just want to give you a little slice of that. Okay, one more thing. On the eastern coast of Spain, there's a wine region called Humilla, or Humilia, 
And that region specializes in a specific variety they called monastrel. And it ripens there and it survives and it thrives there because of the warmth and the sun. It loves warmth, it loves sun. Over in southern France, specifically in Provence, because we're talking about Provence, there's a variety that they use there called Morvedra. Morvedra is monastrel. There's another, there's another connection there. Also, Syrah is a big deal in Provence, and that's pretty much because the Rhone is just north. I'm going to list all these grapes, and it's going to be very clear. I just was wanted, wanted to give you guys a sense of like the, the density of the history here without going into all the crazy cool stories. The wine-growing region of Provence consists of nine appellations. One of those appellations, the largest one, has four sub-appellations within it. And five of those appellations we see pretty regularly on the American market. The other four are very small, and we don't often see them on the American market. So I'm not going to really go into them because I don't really have the time. But we're going to talk about what you will see. And also, as I've stated before, the wine-growing region of Provence produces red, white, and rosé. Rosé being the lion share, like a big old lion, of the region. In a lot of cases, the red and the white don't really make it to the United States. And if they do, it's in very small quantities. There is one appellation that I'm going to talk about that's primarily red that does make it here. But really, we're talking about rosé today. Across the nine wine-growing appellations of Provence, primarily there is a list of five red wine varieties that are used to make the rosés of this area. There's Grenache, originally Garnacha from Spain. This is the most planted variety in Provence. The second most planted grape variety, red, is a grape called Sanso. This is native to France, and it's usually used as a blending variety, but it can do more. And then there's Syrah, the third most planted variety in Provence. And as we know, that comes from the Rhone, which is just north of Provence. And then you have Morvedra, otherwise known as Monastrel on the eastern coast of Spain. This is not planted as much as the other varieties because Monastrel or Morvedra is picky when it comes to sun. It needs warmth. So there's only certain places that it does really well, and we'll get into that. The last variety I think is one of the most fun varieties, if you will. It's being used more and more in Provence. It once was kind of not used, but now it's coming back. It's a grape that's so old, there's two names for it, and no one knows which was the original name for it. Over in Ligordia, which is just over the border into Italy from this region of Provence, there's a grape called Rossese de Dolce Aqua. It is an awesome red wine. Soft, smooth, sort of like a little Merlot-ish. It's awesome stuff. Over in Provence, they call it Tiboren. T-I-B-O-U-R-E-N. And it has similar characteristics to that variety. So they're the same variety. No one just, just no one knows what's the original name. But Tiboren is being used more and more often in the rosé blends. It gives a nice little fat paunch, if you will, to the rosés. As I've mentioned before, the Provence wine growing region is in the southeastern part of France on the Mediterranean. 
And it surrounds a bunch of cities, but the main city that it surrounds is Marseille. I mention that because when the ancient Greeks got to this land, they actually, that's the city, they, they actually created that city. They named it. It was called uh, Marsilia. With the large port town of Marseille on the coast being the anchor of this, if you go north of Marseille, then east and west, spreading out in both directions, that is the Provence wine-growing region, going east all the way to the border of northern Italy and going west to the border of a region called Languedoc or Languedoc, which we'll talk about in some other episode. And oh my gosh, it's an amazing place. Across the nine Appalachians of Provence, the five red wine grape varieties that I mentioned are used in different proportions throughout, with Garnacha or Grenache being obviously the most popular. And I say this because there's a lot of proportion changes between the Appalachians, and because these are the main varieties that are used, I'm not going to go into the different, different proportions per Appalachian, because I think we would both get very dizzy and may not even retain it. Just know that these are the varieties that are blended into the wines you're going to see on the shelf in the United States. The rosé we see the most of here, and the largest appellation in Provence, is Côte de Provence. This appellation has a whopping 50,000 acres of land under vine. It's huge, and it's mostly concentrated in the eastern side of the region, but it also has pockets all over the place. There are pockets over in the west, in the south, in the far north. And the reason why it's called Côte de Provence, the hills, you remember the Burgundian episode, Côte d'Or, slope or hill, it's the slopes of this area because in this area, there are a couple, I call them mini massifs. Because <laughs> the reason I say that is because we talk about the big massif and we talk about Burgundy. Well, there's, these other massifs just aren't as big. But it does create a hilly uh, kind of geography as you go north in Provence. Obviously, the majority of the wine here is pale, pink, and dry rosé. They like to concentrate on Grenache and Sanso, but again, they do all other varieties of the ones that I listed. They're actually playing around with some more Tiboren more than usual these days. Only about 15% of this area is red wine, but we don't even see it here, I don't think. I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys have, but I haven't had a red wine from Côte de Provence yet. So Côte de Provence is large and it's spread out, but it does have four sub-appellations. And usually when you see sub-appellations, we're talking about terroir, right? We're talking about different soil compositions and different exposures to the sun give different varieties, different characteristics, and these areas have proven over time that they're different, therefore they've gotten their own. So it's kind of like a village, if you will, if you listen to previous episodes for Burgundy or Rhone, where they can say Côte de Provence, and they can actually put the name of the village on the label. There's only four of them. And you know I'm going to mess up these names, but I have to tell you them because you're going to see them, and I want you to know what they are. So you're going to see Côte de Provence on the label, and then either underneath that or just in big words above that is the name of the village. One of the villages is called Fréjou. It's located more in the eastern side of the Provence region. It has it's small. It's only about 650 acres. They do red wine there, but mostly rosé, of course. And the white wine is just general Côte de Provence. They don't even make enough white wine to have it part of the village. You could see Côte de Provence Lalande, which is located more on the Mediterranean coast. And this is one of those spots, it's warm enough that Morvedra or Monastrel, Mavedra, 
can ripen fully. So here they do something called a GSM blend, which is Grenache, Syrah, Morvedra. Again, not everyone does that, but it's popular there. You might see Cote de Provence, Pierre Fou. And the wines here are just known because it's very terroir driven in that they have various soil types that really define the area. Then there's the last one, which is located in the West as well, but just North of Marseille. And it's known for it's limestone soil, which is kind of a big deal in wine, which we talked about in the Champagne episode. Also, Cezanne and Picasso did a lot of work in this area. It's called Côte de Provence Saint-Victoire, or Saint-Victor. Am I doing this right with the French? And you know what? Since Côte de Provence is so big, and you will see some white wine out there, I'll run down a quick list of what they do with white wine grapes. They have Claret, which is a blending variety, Semillon, which is a kind of a sweet grape, made that's uh, native to Bordeaux, Uni Blanc, which is a very well-known variety for um, for distilled uh, wine spirits, and Roll, which is Vermentino, which is sometimes blended into the rosé. So that's what they do. They're very clean, very quaffing, very good white wines. The next big region, and this is, a, this is kind of an interesting one because you're going to see it a lot, and it's very hard when you're looking at it to figure out how to pronounce it. It's pronounced... Coteau d'Aix en Provence, or just X in Provence, like the letter X, but the way X is spelled is A-I-X, so that's why it's very confusing. So when you see it now, you get it, right? It's X in Provence, and what that means, and this was a tough one, I had to figure this one out, from what I understand, X is an old Latin word or term to refer to water, or flowing water. And it is the name, it's it, the, the Côte d'Aix du Provence is actually, X is a town in this region. So X in Provence, the town of X in the region of Provence, and X is named after flowing water. It's, I don't know, it's a little bit confusing, but it's kind of cool. Côte d'Aix du Provence. Feels good to say it when you get it. Am I getting it? I don't know about French. So the appellation is named after the town of X. And the Appalachian doesn't really surround the town so much as it does expand from the western part of X, going west about 10,000 acres worth of vines, and that is Coteau d'Aix de Provence. The big five red grapes are here, but they're also doing, they're, they're using a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is interesting. Also a grape called Carignan, which is a very old varietal in this region that we're going to talk about more in the Languedoc episode, but they're not using it much. The big thing about this region, this Appalachian, and the reason why you're going to see a lot of it on the American market is this is a big cooperative region. There are cooperatives here, and they pump out a ton of rosé, and it's going to come onto the market and say, Aix-en-Provence. And the last rosé region in Provence I want to talk to you about is actually, it's coming more and more onto the market. We're going to start seeing more of it. It's an enclave that's been cut out of the large Côte-de-Provence region called Coteau-Vergois. I think I'm saying that right. It's Verois. It's named after the VAR department, which this most of this area is in. It's not huge. It's a little over 2,500 acres under vine, but it's known for its pockets of limestone, limestone being a very popular soil for vines. Also, it has little warm areas in it where Morvedra can actually ripen fully. That's a thing in Provence. It's hard to find places where Morvedra ripens, but when it does, it's special. And the last place I want to talk about is not known for rosé in Provence. It's known for red wine. It's not big. 
It's very small. And from what I understand, urban development in this area, because it's so close to the coast, is getting to the point where it's hard for this little region to expand. But it's odd because they don't produce a lot of the a lot of wine here, but it is a very prominent wine on our market. It's a little bit expensive, but if you get a chance to try this, it's it's awesome. It's a little appellation in Provence called Bandol, B-A-N-D-O-L, which is named after the port town that surrounds it. That it surrounds. That surrounds it. Jeez, Keith. It only has about 1,500 acres under vine, but what's very special about Bandol is it's the one place in Provence that can really ripen more Vedra. The majority of the wines, I mean, they're all, again, There's the five grapes are there. But the majority of the wine that is made is red wine. And of those red wines, the majority of the blend is Morvedra. Actually, 50% of the blend is Morvedra. And these wines are soft and lush and smooth. When Morvedra ripens properly, it is this odd, beautiful thing. It is, it's deep and lush and it's medium body, but it also has a perception of fullness to it. There's some tannins. It's, it's, it's wild. And the wines coming from Bandol, they age for a long time, but also they drink really well in their youth. It's a very wild thing. These, and the, the, because of the, the, the ability of Morvedra to ripen, they actually have all the vineyards that are, they're facing directly south. They want as much warmth from the sun as possible in those 3,000 sun hours annually in Provence to really make these grapes ripen. The grapes are grown on terraces. They're hand harvested and blended. And the wines from this area spent about 18 months in barrel before the release. Oh, wow, look, we have aging requirements now. <laughs> With rosé, there aren't really aging requirements in Provence. There are winemakers that are trying to make rosés that will age, but there's no requirement for it. I mean, rosé is seasonal, especially here, you know, in the United States. I mean, in Provence, they drink rosé all the time because it's 3,000 sun hours a year and the winters are very mild. So they're just like, they're rolling it over every year that rosé is always available, but it doesn't age. And I go over all that on the episode of how rosé is made in season one. Okay, wine lovers, that's Provence. There's this That really breaks it down and gives you a sense of what's available, what you're going to see, how to pronounce the things, what are the varieties that are in these blends. So next time you're out there, just try rosés from all over Provence and get a sense of what you dig mostly from that place. And if you see any red wine from Provence, tag me at Keith on Instagram. I want to see it. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Fleur de Mer Rosé. Throughout the rolling hills and valleys of Provence, fields of lavender thrive in the warm sun and fresh, crisp seaside air. 
In French, fleur de mer means flower of the sea, and our wine celebrates the region's famed flowers as well as its historical tradition of crafting incredible rosé wines. Each sip of fleur de mer rosé engages the senses with bright fruit notes, crisp acidity, and a clean, dry finish. For a taste of true provincial rosé wine, reach for fleur de mer rosé.